0: All right, well, turn with me there to Luke chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 19. The title is, Jesus has come to do good. If you recall in our last study, and maybe we'll even begin there, um, verse uh, 33 down to verse 39, the, Jesus is being challenged by the Pharisees that, you know, he doesn't pray right. Your disciples and you, you really don't pray. His devotional life to God is being questioned. And um, just think about that for a moment. If Jesus' devotional life could be challenged, what must have it been like to have these as your leaders? <laughs> you would have been dinged every time you turned around. You would have been questioned your motives. You could never do enough good here is God in the flesh being questioned by these religious leaders that He's not spiritual enough. And you know what Jesus goes on to say? He goes, "You can't handle me." <laughs> You've got an old wine skin. you have your old way of doing things, and that's just fine. I'm not going to pour myself into you. Because if I pour myself into you in the system that you're a part of, it's going to burst just like an old wineskin can't handle new wine that's still expanding and fermenting. You can't handle the work that I want to do. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a new wineskin, and I'm going to do my work in this, in, 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 in this new way, and you're not going to be able to handle it. And he gives that illustration. Well, as we move into chapter 6, we're going to get, um, you know, it depends on how you want to count it. I, I'm going to say, I think there's like four different movements we're going to watch in these 19 verses. And each one of these, in varying degrees, really illustrates the new thing that Jesus was doing. And so let's, um, let's begin reading there. First of all, verses 1 through 5. And we see that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields, and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus, I love this, the disciples don't have to answer. But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this? What David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, The Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. They would have lost their minds right here. They, they knew that the Son of Man was a title he was taking to himself. And now he's saying, I am the master of, of the Sabbath. Don't question. <laughs> you're questioning me about my spirituality. Now you're questioning me about the Sabbath. I'm the one that's in charge of Sabbath, not you guys. You can think whatever you want, but at the end of the day, I am in charge of this day. It's mine. And what we see is that they had all of these traditions that they would follow. Um, And the traditions really became more important and more significant than, than even the Word of God. But, you know, to begin with, they're walking through, they're passing through the edge of the field... Um, they see some grain. They pluck the grain. Something that was allowed. Deuteronomy 23:25. When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. So, if you're coming through, you want something to eat. You could, you know, get some grain, rub it together, get the husks off, blow it away. You could put it in your mouth. You could eat it. There's no problem with that. Um, You couldn't go in there with a sickle and begin to chop down his crops, right? Because there's a big difference between just getting a little nourishment and actually taking um, somebody's livelihood away. Now, the problem that the Pharisees have is not that they are getting grain from a neighbor. That's not the problem. The problem they have is that they're, they're, they're getting that grain and they're eating it on the Sabbath. So for them that They had a book called the Talmud, which is a collection of commentaries and traditions on the law of God. Um, not inspired. And they had many, many comments that they would make. Um, here are some of the things that you would find. On the Sabbath day, especially you ladies, it was not permissible for you to look into a mirror. Do you know why? Does anybody know why? you might see a gray hair. And if you see a gray hair, I just saw some of you do it, you might be tempted with this deep, dark lust in your heart to pluck it out of your head. And if you pluck that out of your head, do you know what that's like? That is like harvesting a field. So you weren't allowed to look in a mirror because if you saw gray hair, you might be tempted to pluck it out and that would be like doing you know agricultural work. If you were sitting inside your house, and of course, very common to have dirt floors, if you were sitting in the chair, you would have to stand up with your chair, back away, put it down, because you weren't allowed to just scoot back. Because if you were in a wooden chair on ground, and you scooted back, what could happen to that ground? You're plowing. Again, you're doing farmer's work. And so you were not allowed to do that. And so here's this one thing that you were not allowed to take grain um, from a field because that would be like harvesting. You couldn't rub it together and blow the chaff away because that is like winnowing. You are doing farmer's work. And so this is the accusation. But you know, you do have to wonder, where did these guys come from, by the way? Now, I mean, listen, we don't have a conversation. Maybe this was a... There's a lot of people traversing through this area, and they just happened to pass by. Eh, You know, maybe that that took place. Um, Or maybe they were spying on them. Maybe they were following around. You know, the Pharisees all camoed out in wheat, you know. And um, just sitting there waiting for somebody to do the Jesus disciples. And they do it, and they go, aha, I got you. You know, harvesting and winnowing on the Sabbath. You are breaking the Sabbath. This was the kind of people they were. Questioning the Son of God about his spirituality. Questioning those that were hungry and wanting to have something to eat. You know, there's a real interesting comparison you can do between the way Jesus deals with sinners that are broken versus the religious leaders that are full of pride. I mean, it's such a contrast. Jesus is constantly taking them to task. And in this instance, he's sticking up for his disciples. He says something to them um, in verse 3. Have you not even read this? How do you think that sounded to them? These were the experts. These were the guys that had given their entire life to studying and knowing this. And Jesus says to them, do you guys read your Bible? Have you, have you, do, you didn't even read this part of your Bible, did you? This was a direct challenge to them and their understanding of the Word of God. Because for them, the important thing was the traditions. It was the Talmud. It was the Mishnah. It's what did other rabbis say. And it was, that's what was important. That's what they had to follow. And Jesus, on many occasions, asked this question. Do you guys read your Bible? Oh, you can just imagine they, how red-faced they would have become. And so then he takes them to this Old Testament account where David is on the run from um, some, you know, a, a dying dynasty of King Saul. And the anointed one who's coming on, is to come on and and be the king over Israel. David is being challenged and he's being hunted down and he is being sought after. I wonder if they were picking up the parallel. Do you see the parallel there at all? Here's the son of David, you know, with his band of soldiers, right? The disciples walking through. David comes to the house of the Lord, the tabernacle, Um, on the run from King Saul, the establishment, with his soldiers, and they're hungry. David comes in and he says, we we need some food. And the priest says, well, all I have is the showbread. Now, what is the showbread? The showbread were 12 loaves of bread that were continually um, there in the tabernacle, later in the temple, um, and they represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And so every week they would take that bread um, that had been sitting there that week. They would take it out. Only the priests were allowed to eat that bread, and they would replace it with new fresh bread. So when David comes on the scene, it's exchange day. Okay, It's a bread exchange day. And he comes in, and, and what it said is, like, listen, all we have is this, this show bread. And so the priest asks a few questions, and then gives them the bread. But the law says that the only the priest could eat it. So he, he challenges them, he brings this before them. And um, it's something that I'm sure they were sitting there going, oh man, never thought about it. It was such a similarity. Here's the son of David being you know, challenged and followed and sought after by the establishment. His uh, disciples are hungry. They eat bread and they're challenged about it. And Jesus says, hey, well, what are you guys going to do about this Bible verse? What do you guys have to say about this Bible story? You like to comment about, you know, Scripture verse? Here's a Scripture verse for you. David ate the showbread. Why? How come? Why was he allowed to do that? And so this would have been such a challenge uh, to them. But there is clearly an important lesson that is being taught. You know, (laughs) Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's easy. My burden is light. because the burden and the yoke of the Pharisees would drive you into the ground. You would collapse beneath the weight of the religious requirements. Peter put it this way in Acts chapter 15, verse 10. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? You're putting stuff on them that we couldn't even carry out. This was what was common in the day. Well, Jesus teaches what the the true purpose of the Sabbath was all about. And the principle that he's communicating to them here is this, is that human need supersedes people's traditions. And maybe even parts of the law. Like only the priest can eat to show bread. If there's a human need, then, then that need should be there. God didn't put um, regulations and commandments in Scripture to beat us into the ground. That was not the purpose of God. That's not why they were placed there. And so he was presenting something to them that would have been such a challenge. And they would have had to Have worked through that. So, human need does not supersede um, the traditions that these guys were trying to impose. My disciples are hungry, they ate something, leave them alone. The other thing that is really trying to be communicated here is in this statement that Jesus said that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And as I said in the opening, he essentially is saying, Don't tell me about the Sabbath and what i should do and what they shouldn't do i am in charge of this day it's my day i'm the one that created it i'm the one that established it and i have no problem with what my disciples were doing and so we're going to see this even as we move into the next scene but man they had turned this day that was meant to be a day of rest that sounds nice what sounds that doesn't sound so bad right a day of rest but they had made the day of rest so difficult that it was a burden and a yoke that nobody could keep. I mean, you, you, can't, you, you, you might as well just stay in bed and not get out because you're going to break one of the laws for sure, one of the traditions. So this was the kind of the, the environment. That's what was going on in the day. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan says, Any application of the Sabbath law which operates to the detriment of man is out of Harmony with God's purpose. God's purpose is to bless man, not to make him fall underneath the weight of something. Um, when religion places tradition and men's opinions alongside or above the Word of God, we can know that that's going to bring harm. You know, one of the greatest enemies to faith is religion. Now, you can use religion in two different ways, okay? You can re- use religion as just a, an, in a healthy way, in a positive sense of my faith to the Lord. Or you can use religion, and I'm using it in a negative way here this evening, You religion is man's rules and regulations to try and be right with God. And, people, and, and there's been no shortage of those that have wanted to put rules and regulations upon people. And to, uh, you know... Their flavor, their brand of holiness and Christianity. And they put all of these things upon people that can never be carried out. Here's what was going on in Jesus' day. Mark chapter 7, verses 8-13. through 13. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation on this. It says, For you ignore God's specific laws and substitute your own traditions. Well, that's just really all we need to read right there. But let's keep going on. Then he said, You reject God's laws in order to hold on to your own traditions. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to the parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I could have given to you. You let them disregard their needy parents. As such, you break the law of God in order to protect your own tradition. And this is only one example. There are many, many others. So, you know, this is the, this, if you think about it, the, the, the family, right, unit. Take care of your family. If you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel, right? New Testament. So mom and dad need help. And you have the means to do this. So what you would do, um, you would run down to the temple. And you would say, "Um, I have come into some money and I just want to dedicate this to God. I just, this money is the Lord's. And they would, you know, do a special handshake and, you know, hokey pokey, I don't know. And then there would be this special exemption that they could get out. Then they would come to mom and dad. Hey, you know, son, we're going to need some help. You know, mom and dad, you know me, I would have loved to help you. But I was just down at the temple worshiping God overcome by his blessings upon my life. And all that money that I was going to give to you, I I just dedicated it to the temple. Sorry, can't help you. So they go away in need, and then they would come back, and essentially they would say, just kidding, and all that money would come right back to them. And they had a way and a system of getting around this. And so again, they had their traditions, but well, who was it hurting? It was hurting other people. And it was mainly hurting people that was in need. The truth is this: God is looking out for your best. I hope you can see that in this, this, this scene right here. Jesus is defending His disciples. He's looking out for them. He says there's principles in the New Testament of human need being more important than the technicalities of ceremonial law and rituals, and certainly your traditions. And so, obviously, people can take that principle and they can twist it and they can run with it and they can go and find all kinds of ways to, um, in their mind, disobey the Lord. But they will have to answer to the Lord for that. But when human need is, is right there in front, uh, maybe you ought to do it. I mean, what's an example of this in our modern day? Yeah, I I guess, you know, one example would be, you know, if you're on your way to church and you see somebody in need and you think, well, I can't stop and help them. I've got to go worship Jesus. Maybe maybe you ought to stop and help them. Maybe you ought to stop and, I've got to be at church, you know. Not a church, then, you know, might not make it to heaven. The Bible doesn't say that, actually. So why don't you stop and help that person and meet the need, human need. And the title that we've given to the study is Jesus has come to do good. He's come to do good. God is looking out for our best. Which really ought to motivate us to want to obey him, right? So they were using the strong arm of religion and fear and attack to get people to be obedient. But the Lord says, I'm looking out for you. I'm taking care of you. These guys attack you. I've got, I'm going to take care of you. Do you think this helped the disciples to feel emboldened to follow Jesus who was running roughshod over all these traditions? They realized there was consequences to all these conflicts that Jesus was getting into with these men. And they understood that they were counted with him. And Jesus is like, I and watching out for you. So, you know, when we think about obeying the commands of the Lord and following the Lord, be full of faith. Because God is not trying to place upon you some unnecessary technical burden just to kill the joy and um, pleasure of your life. That's not who He is, that's not what He's doing. He is a good God, He is one that has come to do good in your life and so when you are looking at the choice to obey the Lord and you know clearly what he's called you to do and there's this kind of you you begin to think "Well, yeah but there's if I do this the the ramifications at work the ramifications in this relationship the ramifications you know my own life man if I do this I feel like the Lord's calling me to do but if I do this it's gonna there's gonna be all kinds of chaos that's gonna erupt Just remember who is for you and that God has come to do good. And he doesn't want to put things upon you just to make your life miserable. That is not him at all. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. You can trust the Lord's advice. You can trust his counsel. You can be completely obedient to him in your circumstances. And as you do that, know that the Lord is for you. We move on and we come into the next scene, verses 6 through 11. Again, another event happening on the Sabbath day. And here, we're just going to call this that Jesus does good on the Sabbath. Now it happened on another Sabbath also. That he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy? I mean, he's got them. These arrogant men thinking that they've trapped Jesus. And when he looked around at them all, just came, I, I mean, this is not bashful Jesus here, is it? He's staring them down. You're one by one probably going around. Do you, you have anything? You, no answer? No answer? No answer? And they're just sitting there. And you just watch their heads just, boom going to the ground. Tapping out. I don't want to answer that question. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. There's the, there's your leaders. These guys wanted to catch Jesus. But you know the thing that I really love? There's a couple of things about this story that I, I love the way it portrays the Lord. Number one... Jesus was predictable. What what are, what are they predicting about Jesus in this account? That he can't help but to do good and to meet the need in a person's life. They knew that Jesus loved people and he met human needs and he touched them and he did good. They were so confident of it that they sat waiting to see what he would do with this man with the withered hand. I'm sure they didn't bet, but if they were betting men, they would have bet, I bet he heals them. And we got him. Well, Jesus is one step ahead of them, many steps ahead of them. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're up to. Just like we read in the previous chapter, when the lame man was let down through the roof, and he said, your sins are forgiven you and they're reasoning in their mind. Jesus knows what they're reasoning. And we see it again here that he knows what their reasoning is in their mind. And so He, he just, again, He ask him a question. Hey, this is a very simple question. On the Sabbath day, you're experts in it, right? Yes, of course. You tell us all the time. You're experts in the Sabbath. Easy question for you. Um, should we do good or should we do evil? Because what Jesus was about to do certainly was not evil. And would only be categorized by any thinking person as a good thing. I'm sure they felt the setup. So they just said nothing. They remained silent. And so Jesus, again, um, unafraid to confront. Um, he knows that they're going to do this, this predictably good. So let me just pause right there and put that out as a question to Troy Warner is troy warner predictably good is it predictable that if i have the opportunity i'm going to do a good thing and i'm going to be kind but what about you i mean that's 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 a probing question isn't it that's challenging is it would your enemies say yeah she's going to show kindness i know it She will always do a loving thing for people. Therefore, we can trap her. Uh, Are you that predictable? Am I that predictable? And doing a righteous and kind and loving thing that even the enemies of the church and even the enemies of your life would say, I know they're gonna do good. Because that's what they were counting on. Man withered hand, Jesus teaching, we've got him. Because he's he can't resist. Helping that person that is in need. Hopefully, we're working towards being more and more like Jesus, right? But here's a great opportunity for us to just begin to make this a a prayer of our life. Lord, help me to be good. And and I I just, listen, I'm just going to, I don't know if this applies directly to anybody, but I just want to say this. Don't be the one with your hand always out. Trying to get something. Trying to get the help. Help. Trying to receive something, be the person that is predictably trying to show kindness and blessing into somebody else's life. This is this is how we should live. I, I you know I refer to this passage a lot in the Old Testament where uh, it talks about how um, the Israelite was to have an open hand to those to the poor that were in the country. Oh, I mean again, you know if your hand is wide open with the resources. And you're surrounded by poor people. Is there any risk in that? If you I mean, put a hundred dollar bill in your hand and walk through the market, the mall. Any risk there? Jesus said uh, the the law says, have an open hand. But our tendency is to, to have a tight fist. You know, and I listen. I can. I'm, I'm good at this. Oh, I got to be a good steward of God's money. I, you know, I've worked hard for it. This is a church money, it's worship, and I'm not going to let anybody get this stuff unless they really, really, really deserve it. Well, okay, I think it's good to be responsible. I'm sure you appreciate that to a certain degree, but you know, that can be detrimental from doing good, too. Would we rather be taken advantage of for doing good or stand before the Lord for being stingy, tight-fisted children of His? I think I would rather hear the Lord say, you know, you're a little loose with my money. It's like every time somebody came around with a need, you were like giving it away. I, I think I would rather hear that than the Lord say, why, why were you clinging to that stuff so tightly? There are, all these people were, came your way. So let's make certain we're not the ones that always have a handout, which, by the way, if you're in here with a need tonight, that is not code for don't ask for help. All right? If you have a need... Let us know. So are you predictable that you're going to show kindness and you're going to show goodness? Now once Jesus, I mean he's predictable. So this is the one scene, I really, one aspect I really love about um, our, our, our Lord in this scene. The other one is this, is that Jesus knew that it was a setup and he dove in head first. He's like, yeah, I know what's going to happen. They're going to accuse me. They're going to be angry at me. They're going to, I mean, do you think that he knows that at the end of verse 11, they're going to figure out, they're going to go and begin to plot his death? I mean, if you knew that showing kindness and goodness was going to result in people wanting to kill you, do you think there might be any kind of temptation? Well, you know, it is just a withered hand. It's not like he can't walk like the last guy, you know, I mean. But but Jesus, he is not deterred. He knows there's going to be conflict. He knows they're going to begin to plot his death. And he's just like, you guys are not going to turn me away from doing good on the Sabbath. I've come here to do good. And you, scribes and Pharisees, who are so twisted up in your understanding about what this Sabbath day is all about, what my Sabbath day is all about, you are not going to own it. I'm going to own this day. Because it's mine to own. And isn't that the way the Lord has come to each and every one of us? Come and showing kindness and showing goodness to us. And he knew that the, the cost to show kindness and goodness to, to Troy Warner was going to be him on the cross. And yet he came. Jesus knows the same for you and for all of us. So he's not deterred from touching lives, even though it's going to it's gonna go Badly, if you will. And, you know, the Lord can give us directives. Go to this person, help this person, you know, reach out to them, talk to them, and we can begin to just give all of the excuses. Oh, Lord, not today, not another healing and another controversy. Father, I know, yes, I'm, I'm the Messiah, I've come to do it, but no controversy today. I just want a nice, simple, good Shabbat Bible study. No excuses from from the Lord. He only did the things that the Father told him to do. So he's doing what the Father wants him to do. Maybe the excuse isn't, I want a nice quiet day. Maybe it's, I can't, Lord. I've never been able to. This man is given what an impossible commandment. Stretch out your hand. That's impossible to a man with a withered hand. Unless God says, Stretch your hand out. God's commandments are God's enablements. If God commands you to do it, he will enable you to do it. I don't know if I can do that. And to the humble he gives more grace. Fall on your face and say, God, I need you. This is a command that you've put before me. I need you in my life to be able to do do this. As you love, you will be enabled to love. I can't love them. Oh, love your enemies. I can't do that. Why don't you do it and watch how God supplies love in your life? No, that can't happen. Why can't it happen? Because it's a withered hand? Because it's a withered part of your heart, your life? God can't, in your act of obedience, as you begin to to reach out, to show kindness and and love to that person. God can't take that part of your heart, that part of your mind that's been so wounded and, and feels so bitter. God can't breathe life into it. He can. He absolutely can. And He will. If He's commanded you to do it, He's going to enable you to do it. When we step out in obedience into service... We'll find the empowerment to do the work. You know, I think sometimes we sit back and we, you know, it's like we want to, you know, feel like the Incredible Hulk and go through this, you know, spiritual transformation. Um, and then when I can look in the mirror and see, you know, just raging boldness and fire and, you know, miracles ready to come, now I'll go out and be obedient. And Lord's like, Nah, just go out just the way you are. Just puny little guy. Just go out there. And I will put my power upon you in that moment. You don't need it right now. You're just in your house praying, okay? You don't need that divine enablement right now. You're just in church worshiping. Go share with your neighbor who yells and screams at you every time you drive by because of your Christian bumper sticker or whatever. Go watch what happens to them. And how I come upon you in that moment. So when we step out in obedience, you can expect the Lord is going to empower you. Are you open for directions from the Lord? Are you open like this guy? Now, obviously, he—I mean, I'm sure he knew that Jesus had the ability to do that, and Jesus puts him on center stage, doesn't He? he did, this isn't a miracle done in the corner. I mean, he mean brings him right into the middle. Come up here. And Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. Are you open for the Lord to call you? Is there, is there a place in your life for the Lord to tell you to do something impossible? To do something that's not on, 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 you know, on the, the calendar? Is there a place for that? Because if this man wouldn't have reached out, if his response would have been, I can't do that. I've got a withered hand. What do you, how dare you ask me to stretch out my hand? And turned and marched off. He would have missed out on a, just a tremendous blessing and healing, right? But he had faith. And he stretched it out. Verse 11, again, we just see this note that they, they're full of rage. They go out and they are plotting, what are we going to do with this Jesus? What's wrong with these men? I mean, really, what is driving these guys Well, Mark chapter 15, verse 10 tells us, For he knew, Pilate knew, that the chief priest had handed him, Jesus, over because of envy. They were jealous of him and the attention that he was getting and the way the crowds followed him and the way people looked to him. The the crazy thing is, of course they ought to look to him. He's their creator. He's their maker. He's their savior. He's he's their redeemer. You should have led the charge in bringing people to him. But they allowed envy to keep them. Can you imagine what that must be like to have the reality of knowing who Jesus is now? And what they were doing A tough place to be. Well, the Lord is faithful. He heals them. And we come on to the next scene, verses 12 through 16. And in all of this, we have the backdrop of Jesus says, you can't handle what I'm doing. I'm going to pour new wine into new wineskins, not old wineskins, because you can't handle what I'm going to do. You can almost hear We can handle anything you've got. Oh, yeah? How about this? What if we eat grain on the Sabbath from the field? You can't do that. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I told you you couldn't handle it. What would you do if I healed somebody? We have no problem with you healing people. We're for people. Uh, what if I do it on the Sabbath? You can't do that on the Sabbath. That's wrong. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I can do whatever I want in this. See, Jesus is illustrating, or uh, Luke, excuse me, is illustrating how it is that Jesus was something that they would not be able to, um, to receive in the ministry he wanted to bring. But it wasn't just the works of Jesus. It was also going to be his team. They were going to be able to handle the team that he had. Verses 12 through 16, Jesus uses the unlikely. And for them, the old wineskin, it's only the likely. It's only the establishment. It's only those that you would expect to be used. Listen up. Let's read this. Verses 12 through 16, it says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. He called these guys. They weren't on anybody's who's who, you know, Pharisee, you know, for you know, you know, AD 30. Nobody was expecting these guys to be the, you know, the ones that were gonna make it to, you know, the A team. These guys were fishermen, these were rebels, these were tax collectors, these were people that nobody knew of and would have never known of if it wasn't for them being called by the Lord. But the Lord calls them. So, the, the new wine or the new work of the Lord is going to call these men. And of course, here we are, you know, some 2,000 years later, seeing how effective these nobodies were for, for the Lord, how they faithfully obeyed. And this is, this is the Lord's choice. When it came time to choose a new king, they looked for the tall, they looked for the handsome, they looked for the the, you know, the rugged, and yet it was none of them. It was David. It was David. Man looks on the outward, but God looks upon the heart. And he saw in this young shepherd boy one that would one day be called a man after God's own heart. And so he chose David. How about Gideon? He comes at a time... When the Midianites were raging and raiding um, uh, all of their, their, their crops. And he's threshing you know, wheat in a, a, a wine press, which seems to mean hiding. And um, just you know, trying to stay out of sight. And the Lord comes to him and says, you know, Hey Gideon, mighty man of valor. Are you talking to me? I'm not a mighty man of valor. you got... You've got the wrong guy. No, I've got the right guy. I want to use you. Um, And obviously I'm condensing the story and I'm infusing my own interpretation here to it. No, uh, you're the right guy. Yeah, but I can't do anything. Yeah, that's why you're the right guy. You know, I'm fearful. That's why you're the right guy. I have no battle skills. That's why you're the right guy. I run. I'm afraid. I come from the least tribe of the least clan. I'm the least person. Of my family, if you interpret that, you know what that means. You went to the bottom of the bottom of the barrel in Israel, and you found me. I'm at the bottom. I know. I know. That's why I've come to you, because Gideon. When I do what I'm about to do through you, nobody is going to say, "Well, of course, Gideon. He's such an amazing general and so brave and so bold, always standing up to the Midianites." No, everybody's going to say, "Yeah, that was definitely God," because we all know Gideon. That's these guys. And I love it because you know what that means? I can be on that list too. And so can you. And you are. Not me. Sin too much. My life is a mess. I don't. If you are willing to let the Lord cleanse you and you're willing to obey the Lord when he says go, you will be used. Because it's not about you and it's not about me. What is it about? It's about Jesus And my Father is glorified in that you what? Does anybody know how it ends? Bear much fruit. The bearing much fruit is not for you to be excited about your efforts. We gotta check our hearts on that, don't we? Being fruitful is not, you know, so we can be excited. It's about the Father getting glory. So why wouldn't He use Troy? Why wouldn't He use you? You know, there was a, a, a time in my life, and um, I was, um, had been on the mission field, had come back, had been an intern at um, uh, Calvary Chapel Vista as a youth pastor, and um, my friend was the youth pastor, and he was getting ready to leave, and I was going to be the guy that was going to step in, which was great. Um, I was excited. I knew that's what the Lord wanted, but here's the thing. It was a very, very fruitful youth ministry. Do you know why that's intimidating? Because if it stops being fruitful, (laughs) that's me. This is is my thinking, right? So um, I was at a conference, and I came up to this older man in ministry, and um, he's now with the Lord. And I just said, hey, this is what's going on. And I told him the whole story. And he says, you got it all wrong. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he took me to John 15. He goes, let's, let's, let's read this together. And he says, who is glorified in that you bear much of fruit? I said, well, the Lord is. He says, well, don't you think he still wants to get glory? Why would he stop getting glory? He wants to, you are, essentially said, so you are inconsequential. The, the, the focal point is God's glory. Do, do you see that? And so for some of you, you have tapped out or you've said, I'm not ever going to tap in because I'm afraid that if I do this, I'm going to mess it up and it's not going to go well. Well, let me just say to you, what was told to me, you know, some 30 years ago, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and it's about his glory. And so these are called, these 12, I mean, you know, John would maybe 14, 15 years old. Can, can you imagine that? He's, he's calling teenagers. This is a youth movement. When you, when you read verses 12 through 16, just write youth movement, youth group. The youth group at, you know, down in Galilee. These are the guys. So they couldn't handle... You know, him being the Lord of the Sabbath, they couldn't handle him healing on the Sabbath. They couldn't handle his team that he was going to use with this new wine. The Lord wants to use you because he's glorified through your life. Wow, no, 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 no. But I'm like really, really bad. Well, then you're just like making the case all the more. So he calls his disciples. Verses 17 through 19, and we'll end here. Just a couple of comments. And here we see that Jesus has come to meet needs. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem towards the south, from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, the north, who came to hear him there in the Galilee and be healed of their diseases. They wanted to hear him and they wanted to be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. (laughs) Wow. I mean, I know Jesus said, and he's right, that it's better that he goes away, that the spirit might come, but I would have loved to have been a part of that day. I would have loved to have watched that happen. I would have loved to have seen everybody being healed and people that were demon possessed being straight in their minds and people that were crippled, you know, getting up and walking and the dancing and the joy and the, you know, hallelujahs. And I just can you imagine what a day this would have been? But here it is Jesus has come to meet needs, Jesus has come to do good. You know, in this crowd, it would seem that you have Jews and Gentiles, right? You have A notable Jewish crowd from uh, Judea and Jerusalem. But when we come to Tyre and Sidon, we're talking about Gentile territory. Now, it doesn't say Gentiles, so I'm sure there were some Jews up there, and you could probably make the case that they trickled down, but I think they were just there's a multitude of people that were coming, and they wanted to hear him teach, and they wanted to be healed. And they wanted to be set free from the power of evil spirits. Doesn't that kind of remind us of what Jesus said? His ministry was going to be all alike when he announced it in Nazareth. And He quoted from the Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet. He's anointed me to preach. Set the captives free. Recovery of sight to the blind. What the prophet said he would do is exactly what he is doing. So old wineskins. Um, Pharisees, the scribes, the establishment. They couldn't handle what the Lord was going to do. You know, I think the key for us, because I think every generation of the church, as we talked about last week, every generation of the church has to be mindful that they don't become an old wineskin. That our traditions begin to trump what the Lord wants to do. It's not that we... Fling the word of God out here. No, Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to what? Fulfill it. I mean, he's not not dismissing that. That would be a wrong way to read it. But their traditions, which they esteemed above the word of God and was more important to them than the word of God, oh, he ran roughshod over those. He troubled them and vexed them. I mean, you don't want to get in an argument with the creator of the universe. And that's what these guys were doing. That's why they were always silent and walked away. Because they, ma- they couldn't match wits with them. And, and then he would come off with show, doing something like healing a person. Which, by the way, is it, is it okay to do good or evil? So here's a question for you to maybe think about in the car ride home. If Jesus wouldn't have done good, and we'll just say the Father wanted him to do good on that day, what would have been the evil thing? Not healing the guy. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, I think it's verse 9. It says, Let us do good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. If we have the opportunity to do good, show kindness, meet a need, preach the gospel, and we don't do it, that really is the evil thing, isn't it? Is leaving that undone. So just as Jesus came to this earth to do good, here we are. We're left behind. We are the ones that should be out there doing good. And it, you know, it's not always gonna go well. You're gonna have to deal with guys like this, you're gonna have to deal with women like this sometime. They're just gonna push back. And the sad thing is, a lot of times it's gonna come right from the establishment. When I first got here, the greatest to Lynchburg, the greatest opposition I experienced was from other so-called Christians. That was it. They, they, they saw. To discourage me more than, I I don't know that an unbeliever, like, well, all right, I guess. You want to come and do another church? Whatever. I'm not into it. Good luck. But the Christians, you know, they were like, there's so many Christians that were just like, they, they spoke against what we wanted to do, what we were called to do. So it can come from inside is all I'm trying to say. It can come from inside the camp when you step out. So be mindful. Be an encourager. Be one that's um, supporting the new vision, the new work. We don't have to let go of the Word of God. We just, yeah, there'd be new methodologies to preach the same old message, right? And if we can keep that kind of mentality and we don't begin to hold on to that, which um, really our identity begins all be all wrapped up in some way in which we've done it, that's where the problem comes in. So, love... What Jesus was doing. Do you expect Jesus to meet your needs? This crowd did. And they know a fraction of what you know about Jesus. Do you expect him to meet your needs? Come. You know, they were waiting for Jesus. I mean, Jesus comes to them. There's this camp out. Multitudes, thousands of people hanging out. And Jesus just comes walking right down in the midst of them. Just just right there. Just begins to teach and begins to minister to them. Are you waiting for Jesus? Are you waiting for something else or someone else? The psalmist said, all day long I have waited upon you. Wait all day for Jesus. Father, we are grateful for your word and your truth. And that you would send your son. And we know that he came to seek and to save the lost. And that's us. But we also thank you for all the good and kind things that he did. Of healing a son or a daughter a mother or a father. The lame or the blind or the withered hand. Such joy he brought to them. But even more than that. He preached the acceptable year of the Lord. He taught how to have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, I pray that we would see you as one in our midst that wants to do good. And that when you call us to obedience, there's no fear, there's no running, there's no hiding, there's no dread because you're the one that's come to do good. And if you tell us to do something, It's the right thing, and it's going to bring blessing. So give us faith to understand your character and your nature.